Hi, I'm Drew Landry, Senior Pastor at Spotswood Baptist Church in Fredericksburg, Virginia. Appreciate you tuning in to our podcast. We've been thinking about our culture and having biblical conversations, asking and answering the question, do I think and live biblically? Challenged our people to live by the plumb line, not the pendulum swing. When the pendulum swings, it always overcorrects. Got a great thought from an article on the Stand to Reason website by Alan Shellman that just really got me thinking about the Scriptures Bible, Jesus being our plumb line. I mentioned a number of times in these sermons that it's impossible to cover all of the content in one sermon, two, or even ten. So that's where we're headed with the podcast. I am not an expert on all the challenges of culture in the 21st century. i kind of doubtful that anyone is. I have reached out to Dr. Karen Swallow Pryor. She is a research professor at Southeastern Baptist Theological Seminary. Uh, Karen, I really appreciate you taking time to help us with the challenges of deconstruction. So why don't you kind of fill us in on who you are, what you do, how long you've been doing this, and why? Sure. I'm glad to have this uh tricky conversation with you, and um, I also am not an expert on this, other than the fact that uh, I have been teaching college um, for over two decades now, for 21 years at Liberty University, and now at Southeastern Baptist Theological Seminary, so I have seen a few generations of young people um, come and go and, and have had a you know, front row seat to the kinds of questions that they wrestle with and the and the doubts and and I've seen you know too many of them walk away from the faith as well and so this topic of deconstruction is something uh, that's near and dear to me and uh, when I'm listening uh, to people about and learning from myself but also have you know have thoughts about it too. Well, I really appreciate what you pulled together in the book, Cultural Engagement. Uh, it got a lot from your podcast on the Gospel Coalition and uh, the book, Before You Lose Your Faith, Asking Questions Well just really, really helped me in framing this and communicating it to our people. So if you would, from the outset, from your perspective, would you define the term deconstruction or deconstructing, especially as it relates to faith? Yeah, that, that really is the best place to start, and that's actually a term that people use a lot, and it doesn't even necessarily have a, a very fixed definition. Um, I think probably the one that is most agreed upon that, that people you know, who are sort of understanding and following the definition, it is simply a dismantling of one's previous faith commitment. Um, there's some other terms, and, and then hopefully reconstructing, but not necessarily. So if we just think of it as dismantling one's assumptions um, in their religious belief, um, and usually it's within the Christian context, or and even more so in the evangelical context, there are a couple of other adjacent terms that often get mixed into this conversation, and there's some overlap there, but they are different. So there is, a, first of all, deconstruction, which we just talked about, but there's also deconversion, which is really the stronger term that, I mean, that term sort of speaks for itself. But someone who once professed to be a Christian and deconverted no longer is a Christian. And of course, I mean, there are theological questions there. Were, mm -hmm. they, were they ever a Christian? You know, that, but look, yeah. let's set that aside. But there's someone who claimed Christianity and now no longer claims it. So that's, so that's a stronger, more final 
um, at least seemingly final decision than deconstruction. And then, of course, there's another term that gets thrown into these conversations, um, and that is exvangelical. Um, someone who once claimed to be evangelical and no longer claimed that. Now, some of those people have deconverted or deconstructed or both, and some continue to be or claim to be Christians, but maybe of a more progressive uh, variety, and then others just simply um, rejected the term evangelical because of how it's been caught up in, in different politics. So in most of these conversations, you will hear maybe all three of those terms, and I, it's helpful to know, you know how they are similar, but how they also are different. Okay. Did you notice a specific season that deconstructing actually became popular or came to be a catch term among college students? It's a pretty recent term. Now, again, I'm, you know, I'm sort of in the, I'm not someone who has deconstructed. And so um, I am Mm -hmm. an outsider in that sense. And some, some of people resent, you know, being talked about rather than talked to. Uh, But certainly I I talked to a lot of these students and I, I, I believe the term is really just a few years old. Um, ironically, in my field of English literature, um, there's actually a term called deconstruction, which has a, a similar but very different mean and meaning, and it's associated with postmodernism. Um, and so, so sometimes in my, my people get a little bit frustrated because we feel like our term, the term that is in our field, has been been hijacked and used in a different context in a different way. So words are words are gone that yeah, way. Yeah. Um, but in this context, it's really just it's gained traction really in, just in the past few years. Um, I've mentioned this to our people. I don't know if you would agree or disagree. I, I think it's due to social media is why it's so popular or why it's thrown around a lot. Would, is that something that you've seen? Well, I think we can blame social media for a lot of things. Sure, <laughs> these days. And certainly, yes. Why not? Things, <laughs> they do tend to gain traction because mm-hmm. of social media. Um, there are hashtags, and then you know, one person has an experience and, and promotes on social media, and then that circulates like a meme. Um, and so, certainly, that that is the case that social media has um, compounded um, these kinds of kinds of movements, and that, that's not necessarily good or bad right, right. Um, because I think you know. It it allows people to actually deal more openly with things, and sometimes doing that actually drains a sense, uh, you know, or something of its power uh, that should be drained if it's power. So um, certainly, social media has played a role. Yeah, I've had a lot of conversation with parents who are trying to help teenagers, young adults, or even middle aged adults. Uh, when they're walking away from the faith, deconstructing, since it's a kind of a new popular term. Uh, have you seen, is this usually related to some type of a traumatic event in someone's life? Is it related to a desire for independence? I know there's no one catch-all phrase that you could put it all under a bucket that you could put everything in. But part of my, my goal as a pastor is how do I help parents deal with this? Yeah, that, that really is um, an important question. And I think people deconstruct for a number of reasons. Of course, mm-hmm. in, in the book that you mentioned, Before You Lose Your Faith, which I contributed to, I address specifically the issue of anti-intellectualism, which yes. we can talk about later. And that's just sort of a failure to have questions answered or have a welcoming um, 
atmosphere in which one can ask um, difficult questions. But really, I do think, I think you, you um, have keyed in on a more important aspect of this, um, this phenomenon and that there often is some underlying hurt um, or even abuse um, of some kind, whether it's sexual abuse, emotional mm. abuse, or mm. spiritual abuse. Um, there are some really hurt people out there, yeah. um, and that deconstruction is often an expression of, of something profound and serious hurt. Okay. Um, you said something about anti-intellectualism. Let's go ahead and unpack that a little bit. What, what do you mean? Well, that, that term actually um, has a long history. There's mm-hmm. a, a, a book of... <laughs> From, from a couple of decades back by uh, Mark Knoll um, called The Scandal of the Evangelical Mind, and, and that, that book sort of details the long history of anti-intellectualism within the evangelical movement over 300 years. And anti-intellectualism is really just simply a resistance to um, finding explanations in uh, reason or science. Um, and, of course, as Christians who believe in God's revealed word, and we we believe in miracles that don't have a scientific explanation. Of course, we believe in those things, but at the same time, that doesn't necessarily mean that we can't approach things with reason, as Paul exhorts us to, and and to understand um, things and ask questions. And so, the way that I that I write about this in in the chapter is that I have seen students who, um, who've grown up in Christian homes, Christian environments, gone to Christian schools, and have been told sort of one interpretation, one approach, whether it's to science or to the age of the earth or, you know, any number of things that the broad scope of Christianity has actually had different answers and approaches to, but they are raised in an environment that says that there is really only one, and they, and they often don't even know that there are other approaches within historic Christianity. And so when they encounter different ideas or have questions and are met with either, you know, pat answers or or worse, just, just discouragement from even asking questions, um, there can develop a sense of, of betrayal mm. and distrust mm. when they encounter the bigger world and find out that there are different ideas. And those ideas may not, you know, I, I'm a conservative in uh, my hermeneutics and my theology, um, yet I have, you know, I understand that different Christians take different approaches and um, and it should not be a shock or feel like a, a big revelation or a big secret that's been kept to encounter those different views um, and to, to examine them. Um, and so this tendency that we've had, I would, in, in the era of, of the past few decades that, you know, that we often talk about in terms of the culture wars, mm-hmm. um, I'm a product of the culture wars and it, it, you know, in some sense I claim that and it's part of me, so mm-hmm. I don't reject it outright. Uh, but there is some damage that has been done by just, um, protecting young people uh, from any competing ideas or um, discouraging them from asking questions. Uh, it's, it's something that's really backfired. Mm. Um, and those sort of intellectual questions 
can lead, as I said, to a sense that they have been deceived and betrayed. And that's the hurt that can result in mm. deconstruction. Wow. That, I never really thought about it from that perspective. Um, so a little bit of a, 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 a uh, can't even talk today, a diversion here. Is it, uh, I encourage our people, have the conversation. Is it, we don't have conversations out of fear or out of ignorance? Uh, help, help me again on, on this one. How do I help people have that conversation? Oh, that, that is a good question. I think, I think, first of all, we can model Okay. A sort of openness and confidence. Uh, like I, an article I wrote a few years ago, touching on some of these things, is for Christianity Today was one where I, um, I coined a term that I call hospitable orthodoxy, and in it I talk about how we as, as you know, again conservatives, mm-hmm. the word that I would use of that term is, is sort I'm of. Okay, yeah. Uh, who knows what that word means anymore? But um, <laughs> those, those of us we self-define, right? <laughs> yes, yes. Um, those of us who hold to kind of the historic Orthodox, Orthodox beliefs about the Bible and sexuality and uh, human life and, and and the Trinity and atonement, all of those things. Um, I, you know, we are the ones I think who who are in our strictness of belief have the most should have the most confidence and security mm, in um, in being hospitable to other people's questions, explaining why we believe what we believe, and and understanding what other people believe. There's, I talk about how the word um, hospitality, um, being hospitable, requires one to actually have a house, you know, to use that metaphor, to have rooms and furniture and equipment in order to host someone comfortably. And we are those people. If we have these strongholds of our faith and we are confident in them, that we of all people are the ones who can be most hospitable to the guests, uh, the guests which might be questions or, or, or doubts or skepticism, um, because we have the walls and we have the roof and we have the foundation. Um, so we of all people should be the ones most confident in, um, in taking questions and asking questions and helping other people to ask, ask questions and to, to read and learn and grow um, and wonder. I mean, that's, that's the other thing is that um, a lack of confidence is one that needs to have definitive answers for everything. Mm-hmm. Um, and the Bible gives us the most important answers to the most important questions. But there's also a lot that we just simply as human beings can't understand or explain. And that is okay. Yeah. We can we should be comfortable in wondering and in and, and mystery and just you know, we will never fathom the depths of our God mm-hmm. and that's okay too. Yeah, I think Isaiah was pretty clear. His thoughts are not our <laughs> our thoughts. Uh I, I don't have answers for everything. About a ninety nine percent, but not everything. Um <laughs> I love the picture of the house, of being hospitable and having the place to welcome people to have those conversations. I I, I maybe should have had the uh, podcast before I preached the sermon, then I could have I could have stolen your illustration. So fan- I think that is fantastic <laughs> for people to think of their home that way. If if, if it's their children, if it's their their college age students. Mm-hmm. Have the conversation. Sit, listen to each other, and stop yelling over each other. Right. We, we, Have the easy chair and the warm yes, fire. We've lost or the air conditioning, as it may be. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we've lost that hospitable attitude. I think as Christians in the 21st century, especially right now. Wow. Mm-hmm. Thank you. Um, okay, 
any guidance that you would give parents or students who are struggling with doubt and faith? I've said uh, and got some pushback on this. I, I think doubt is good if it leads us to deeper, more biblical expressions of our faith. I think doubt is good if it drives us to fall in love with a more biblical understanding of who the person and what the work of Jesus Christ is all about as far as the cross is concerned. Any, anything that you would throw out there that you've seen helpful? Yeah, I mean, and of course I would agree with that, um, but the problem is that when someone is in a state of doubt, whether it's someone else or ourselves, we don't know what the outcome will be, and that's what makes us uncomfortable. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. we have to actually allow ourselves to be okay with that not knowing um, in the midst of doubt, um, and especially if it's someone else that we love, um, someone we're responsible for, that makes it harder. And so I think, and I, you know, I've, I've walked through this with so many students, um, and they've all come to different places. Um, I have students who have who know, you know, who have been converted and do not mm-hmm. um, embrace Christianity anymore. I have other students who've done that sort of deconstruction that we talked about, examining mm-hmm. the things that they've sort of always assumed um, and have come out stronger in their faith. Um, and I have many who have, have you know, are, are maybe haven't haven't landed yet. I actually um, asked a question on Facebook a few weeks, well, a few months ago when I was preparing for the podcast that you mentioned about this book and, and asked for those kinds of deconstruction stories. And I got hundreds of replies and mm-hmm. dozens of private messages. And most of the people um, were very positive about where they had landed. And, and these were people who... who's express that their faith is stronger than it ever was. And again, these are a couple of generations of young people who've been brought up within a kind of subculture of conservative Christianity and often gone to been homeschooled or gone to Christian schools. And there's nothing wrong with that. I, I teach in a Christian, a Christian school. Um, but when they've been sheltered too much, we should almost expect this kind of process to take place. So that's what we... That's what I think we have to fight against. Um, we have to, even if you know, if we're homeschooling or sending our, our students to Christian schools and raising them in churches, as I certainly hope that we are, encourage reading widely. Encourage reading different points of view and discussing them. That's why in, in Cultural Engagement, the book that I yeah. co-edited that you mentioned earlier, we included a range of views by those who profess to be Christians. Yes, you um, did. Most of the views are <laughs> yes, we did, and most most of the views are kind of in my camp, um, but there are some that are are decidedly not. And yet, these are the kinds of views that our Christian young people are going out on the internet and reading on their own mm. and embracing because they they've never seen them before. Uh, they don't know what to do with them, and again, they think that um, someone was hiding these perspectives from them. And so, when they encounter one different view, that um, that can can cause them to reject the whole framework, and we don't want that. So, um, wide reading. I, and I'm in, again, I'm an English professor, so to, uh, you know, just like uh, to a hammer, everything's a nail. Mm. To me, everything is something to be read. <laughs> so. Mm. Um, but reading, reading works of literature or theology or pop culture, watching films together, um, all of these things, these cultural artifacts uh, that we can examine together um, critically um, and 
because we have to be aware of how they can form us when we're just imbibing them uncritically. But those are opportunities for, for families to discuss things together, to kind of gauge where their young people might be. Um, and to keep in mind, too, that there are so many um, so many things happening outside the church and the home, even if it's just on a handheld smart device every day. Those are the kinds of things that are forming and shaping all of us in ways that I think we fail to calculate. All right, let's get into the deep end of the pool. Is this? It, do you think this is more of a struggle with, quote-unquote, the church, or is this truly a, a biblical and theological process, or is it a, a reaction to mom and dad? It, can, can you put that in any kind of category? Well, I think it can be any or all of these things. Um, and, of course, um, you know, the, the, the presence of, of the, the tares among the wheat has, has always mm-hmm. been mm-hmm. Um, uh, and will be until uh, the Lord returns. Um, so, and, and, and there will be people who are weak, you know, weaker brothers, stronger brothers. All of those things will always um, be with us. But if we look through history and we see that there was a time, uh, there are various times, and, and I think in particular because my area is British history and literature, and we think of a time before the Reformation mm-hmm, when corruption mm-hmm was rampant and and the church was abusive and corrupt and the Christianity that was in the world was nominal and worldly and just in name only, Um, that can happen again. Um, And sometimes I do think that we live in a moment right now in Mm. 21st century America where we have, you know, we have we live in what we have called a Christian culture, mm. but that doesn't mean that our Christian faith is strong and vibrant. And so we have to be aware that all culture cultivates and church culture also cultivates that it may be cultivating things, you know, bad fruit, just as it did in other times and places in history. We have to understand that, um, that, you know, again, these problems will always be with us, but the church and, and the various iterations of the church throughout history um, can be strong and it can be weak. And we may be in a time where, you know, God is, I, I, I actually believe that he is refining and mm. revealing mm-hmm. things that have been um, under the surface for a long time. And it's painful, um, but if it's, it's, that's what's there, it is a mercy um, for him to reveal them to us. Wow. I- I couldn't agree more. You know, as you're describing pre-Reformation times, uh, thank you for making the connection 21st century, because I don't know which one you were talking about there, because they do mirror <laughs> each other so closely. They and, do. You know, maybe we are on the verge of a a significant spiritual movement in not only our culture, but our world by asking some of these hard questions, because if you do study Reformation history, hard questions were being asked, and they were being answered biblically. Uh, that, that's why I don't fear the hard questions. Let the, the, the scriptures are always going to guide us to truth, and Jesus made it clear he is the truth. So I'm not afraid of the questions. I can't answer all of them, but let's ask them. Let's deal with it in our culture today. Um, when, when, you, when students come to you, and, and as they begin talking to you, it's very clear it's disillusionment with the church. What's your response? How do you help those students in particular? Because I see a lot of that today. 
Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, you know, I, I want to say I also get a lot of messages from just people out there. It's not just, just students or young mm-hmm. people. Um, it's, you know, it's adults. It's people who've grown up okay. in the church. It's people in the, in the mission field to right now, today, mm-hmm. who've dedicated their lives to serving the church and who are um, dismayed by, by what they see, by the polarization, by the division, yeah, by the yeah. politicization. Yeah. And, you know, I guess, it's, you know, sometimes they have specific um, situations or needs or hurts and that I can address. But overall, my, my message is the church needs you now mm. more than ever. You know, it, it's, the church isn't just for us. Um, it is, but, but it needs us. And when we see the church in, in so many tatters, that's when we should cling to her most closely and try to, um, you know, to, to soothe her, her wounds and to repair her rips and tears because that's what Christ Yes. Well, only Christ can do that for the church, but but she needs us. Um, and uh, if she's if she's being abused, um, which some of us think maybe she is, mm. then she needs us even more. And so I try to help people think in that way about the church, um, to love the church, and be you know don't don't abandon her now of all times. Yeah, I think, you know, with our frustration, sometimes we do forget exactly what you said. The church is the bride of Christ. Mm-hmm. And, you know, if, if Jesus loves the church, then we need to love the church and work toward a biblical church that's actually expressing a biblical faith. So absolutely. I love what you said. The church needs us right now. Um, something that, that I think uh, I hear parents, and as you, I really appreciate you bringing in the 30-somethings and the 40-somethings and even the 50-somethings. Um, I, I, I have parents who come, raise their kids in church, and now their kids have walked away from the church. They're concerned about their grandkids not being involved in church anywhere. And it's really hard sometimes as a pastor when, when I see the, the hurt and the angst and the, the worry. What, what would I tell parents who are struggling with that? Because I see that it's becoming more and more commonplace today uh, for me as a senior pastor to have those conversations with senior adults. We're talking 70s and beyond, who they are the last generation in their family that is in any way, shape, or form involved with, quote-unquote, the church. How can mm-hmm. I help those people? Mm-hmm. Because they're not going to be on social media. They're probably not going to be reading these books. They're probably not going to engage in these cultural conversations. And I just want to encourage them. I want to help them. I want to equip them. So speak to that if you would. Yeah. Uh, again, I can't help but answer maybe a little bit too philosophically and, and historically. But We expect know, that from we, professors. <laughs> okay. <laughs> um, but I think if we can help people to to look beyond this particular moment in our own lifetime and and think about all those throughout history or even those alive now in other parts of the world like what we have we understand to be church and what we understand to be christianity and this maybe i am deconstructing a little bit here um, <laughs> it, wait 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 you're supposed it, to be helping <laughs> but what we think of as that is so much it, it's very cultural it's mm-hmm. very cultural mm-hmm. even things like you know, um, the things that we've been taught to measure a person's faith by, like 
like a daily quiet time. Right. Can you imagine, you know, the first century um, Christians, you know, having a daily quiet time with their coffee? <laughs> you know, I mean, there are just so many cultural things that are not that that are not biblical. They aren't historical. They aren't universal, and um, and so so much of what is church in twenty first and 20th century America is not necessarily Christianity. Mm. And again, as I, you know, I said, we, we, sh- we have not to abandon the church and, and we, we are not to abandon the fellowshipping of w- one with another, but we have, we have presented in our time a vision of, of just one thing that that looks like um, and shut out all other examples or, or, iterations of it um, that we tend to think that if it doesn't look like that, then a mm. person is no longer a Christian or no longer a believer or no longer part of the church. Um, and that we, we have to expect that that's going to, that extreme react, that extreme action is going to create a counter action, um, which again, I'm saying people will probably, many people will, seem to walk away for a while because the pressure has been so intense for them to express Christianity in a very particular way. Um, Mm. And so holding them a little bit more loosely, giving time for the Lord to to continue revealing these things and and let people restore. And and there will I mean, we've been focused on the church growth movement for so many years and probably brought in so many tears into the church, um, Mm. that the numbers may shrink and, um, people may walk away for, for real and for good, but maybe that will help us to focus more on the right things as well. And, and to focus more on discipleship rather than just, you know, evangelism and bringing, bringing the numbers in and having people walk up the aisle and then, you know, not following up. There's so many things that we've done, um, to create a kind of culture or a kind of churchianity that mm. isn't biblical Christianity, um, that we've got to give some room for for God to work and give some room for people to discover biblical Christianity and the true church. Well, you you hit one of the sweet spots that we focus on here at Sponswood is is making disciples, and it's disciples who make disciples and. You know, I, th- I think there's been yeah. a disconnect from what we do on Sunday for an hour or two, maybe three at best, mm. and the other 167, 165 hours out of the week. It's just, it's it's so foreign to us to incorporate that, I think, into our lives. And that's a burden that we have, that I have a senior pastor, that we have a staff. And, you know, I, I guess maybe trying to communicate that across the board to all of our adults, senior adults, students across the board, that it's about discipleship, it's about the relationship, and we've just, you you nailed it. I think we have, our metrics have been so far off for so long. Mm -hmm. Uh, Maybe we do need a a stronger pendulum swing toward let's get back to biblical Christianity in the 21st century. Exactly. Karen, is is there anything you'd say in this conversation in the Q and A time that you would like to add, or you think we've missed, or you'd like to revisit? Well, I would just maybe add to the to your last question um, because it is it is so hard um, to watch people that we love mm-hmm. 
seem to walk away. And I think it, I just being faithful um, in their lives is so important. And this is a hard one for me because I'm a, 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 a I, I, I believe that there's, yeah, I'm a fixer and I'm like, come to me with a question and I can solve your problems right. by telling you the answer and that should make everything fine. And I've learned over the years to just to be a better listener, um, to not be so quick to offer what I think is the correct answer, um, to let people, um, you know, have the journey that, that they have to have, uh, which doesn't mean compromising. It doesn't mean, um, being totally silent. I mean, all of my my loved ones. I don't have children, but some of my college students that I've been, um, you know, had a role in their lives. They are like children to me, and mm-hmm. they know exactly what I believe, and they know where I stand. And yet, um, they know too that you know, if they've come to a different place, they can, that I accept them, I love them, I disagree with them, but they can also know that I that I love them, and they can come to me when they are hurting. Um, and so my faithfulness to the Lord and my faithfulness to them, um, is a testimony. Um, and it's, I think that is stronger maybe than we give it credit for. Um, and you know, again, I, all my sympathy goes to the people who just want to fix it with an answer Mm -hmm. because I'm, I'm one of those people. Um, but I found that just being patient and present and loving, um, is one of the strongest testimonies there can be. And and to grow through that tension of, I disagree with you, but I still love you. Disagreement shouldn't right. cause us to alienate anyone. We're going to have different values, and certainly we we built our life on a on a on a, a a different foundation than the world. Jesus was pretty clear about that in his first sermon. And helping people today, I think, understand. Let's put this faith in that. Not everyone who met Jesus actually followed Jesus, and we have to listen to those who are struggling and listen to those who really want some help. And I've said this many times for our people. I think Jesus was a good listener. If you read his life in the Gospels, he was never in a hurry. And he always had time for people. And and I think, you know, we want a quick fix today. And where we are in this whole idea of deconstructing, deconstruction, uh, people walking away, there's no quick fix, fix before next Sunday that all is going to be behind us. So I, you have you have really, really given me a number of things to think about. I, I pray, I hope uh, that as our people from Spotswood and others listen, that there will be some things in here that will uh, just point them uh, in a very encouraging direction and also uh, equipping them. And if, you know, if, if book sales for um, cultural engagement go through the roof, you know you need to thank me and send me a note with something <laughs> in it, right? <laughs> I absolutely will. <laughs> oh, Karen, thank and you. I do th- yeah. Go ahead. No, I, I was just going to say, I, and, and since you mentioned it, I do think that gives a model um, in the framework that we offer in the beginning chapters and mm-hmm. then in the questions um, that follow each section. Uh, it's Again, it's not a book where uh, my editor and I agree with every essay, but mm-hmm. it's a, a book in which we hope to model how to ask questions biblically and critically to better arrive at the right answer and to to struggle with these questions. So um, you know, that, that's a not just a book itself, but also a model, I hope, for how to engage some of these questions we've been talking about. Well, I would say as a pastor, it absolutely is, and that book is really one of the catalytic reasons behind 
I need to talk to Karen Swallow Pryor about deconstructing and deconstruction because you modeled a perfect way from my perspective of how to have conversations. Conversations we may not come to the same answers, but at least we have conversations and we have actually thought about the conversations we're having. We don't exactly. think anymore. That's a big concern for me. We don't think anymore as a culture, but that's a whole nother podcast. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you so much for your time. And uh, I trust you have a great afternoon. Really do appreciate all your help. Well, thanks again for tuning in to our podcast, Conversations About Our Culture. You can find this podcast anywhere podcasts are found. It will also be on our website, spotswood.org. And I would encourage you to pick up Dr. Pryor's book, Cultural Engagement. I think it is a good framework for discussions, uh, not only with your students or perhaps with your young adults. It's a good conversation starter for our culture. I also would like to remind you of what Dr. Pryor said about our homes. Our homes are great places to invite people in who may not see life, who may not see biblical Christianity from the same perspective that we do and from the convictions that we have about Scripture, the convictions we have about Jesus. Let's have some conversations. I look forward to having you listen to our next podcast as we continue this series on conversations about our culture. 